This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day, every day, good days, bad days, every day. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm rejoicing that you've joined me tonight. My name is Hal Brady, and this is Hal Brady Ministries. Thank you, and I trust that you will receive a blessing both by the Word and the music. Again, please remember to tell your neighbors we'd love for them to join us as well. Our scripture lesson today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'm going to read a, a rather lengthy passage. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are the messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy word. Join me please for a word of prayer. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Like you, I have seen many scenes that I can only describe as eloquent. Several years ago, I saw 15,000 Brazilian Methodists gather into a sports arena. And as we gathered there, those of us who were with the 17th World Methodist Council, we all began to lead the chant, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then the whole stadium began to roar, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And there was a great spirit of oneness, and there was a great spirit of inspiration. I'll never forget that scene. Then there's another scene that I remember. I was having lunch with a friend in Dallas, Texas. He and his wife had just given a very large gift to the church, unusually large gift. And so I said to him, you know, I don't really know how to thank you or recognize you for this marvelous gift. This is what he said. He said, Dr. Brady, we didn't give it for recognition or thanks. We gave it in appreciation for the staff of this church. That's another scene I'll never forget. And then there's this scene before us. I'm talking about the fush washing scene. The occasion is the Last Supper. The mood is serious. As the disciples are gathering around eating, Jesus suddenly rises from the table and he picks up a towel and a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Here we have the Lord of the universe doing what his disciples were too good to do. He began to wash the feet of his disciples. And he knew about his disciples. He knew what they would be doing later on, denying him, betraying him. He knew all that. And yet he continued to wash the disciples' feet. And what an example. What an unforgettable example. Who of us will ever forget, will ever forget this man washing the feet of his disciples? Can you imagine the President of the United States washing the feet of the members of Congress? Can you imagine the President of a university washing the feet of the custodians of his staff? And yet here we have the Lord of the universe washing the feet of his disciples. By this particular action, 
Jesus was telling people that the badge and call of the Christian and the Christian church has to do with service. Jesus says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. The stated mission of the last church I served was to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we had ways that we were going to do it. Worship, invite, care, grow, and serve. In response to God's call, we served, and we continue to serve. And then Jesus said, I have given you an example. So what do we learn from Jesus' example? First of all, we learn about a love for all time. We learn about a love for all time. The essence of the foot washing is Jesus' offering of himself in self-abasing love. This was the prelude to the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, we're told that Jesus knew his own, and he loved them anyway. He knew his own in the world. He knew what Judas was doing. He knew what Peter was going to do later on. He knew what Thomas would do after the resurrection, but he loved them anyway. In spite of their frailty and failures, he loved them anyway. And that's also true of us. In spite of our failures and, and faults and all of these kind of things, he loves us anyway. He loves us to the uttermost. That's what he says. Our love and his love. Our love is dependent upon his love who loves us to the uttermost. The noted author recently said there were certain things about God that was easy for him to understand. He could understand how God created the world and suspended the stars. He could understand how God could hear his prayers. He could understand how God created him. But for God to love him, to cheer for him, to care for him, to love him to the uttermost, he said that was very, very difficult to understand. And yet the scripture spells it out that God loves us to the uttermost. As you may recall, there was a great humorous writer in this country. His name was Louis Grizzard. Louis Grizzard was a great humorist, a columnist. But his humor came also from sadness. You see, his father was an alcoholic, and it left his home when he was a boy. The father had walked out. Louis Grizzard said he asked his father so many times, why can't you stay sober? Why can't you stay in one place? His father never answered him. But just before his father died, Louis Grizzard asked him one day, he said, what have you done that's been so bad, such a gigantic mistake in your life? His father cried and cried and cried, but he never told him what it was. As a matter of fact, his father went to his death, keeping his secret. Louis Grizzard said, did he murder somebody? Did he cheat somebody? Did he molest somebody? Did he abuse somebody? But he never knew. But then Louis Grizzard said, but in spite of his sin, I loved him anyway. Did you hear that? In spite of his sin, I loved him anyway. What an outstanding lesson about how God feels about us. In spite of our sin, he loves us anyway. A senior in a certain college had done something wrong. He had broken the rules, and he was sure the dean was going to kick him out. But when he went to the dean's office, the dean extended mercy, and after some penance, he was able to resume his studies. The next day, he was walking along the campus, and he happened to see a professor's sin, a professor friend. And he said to this professor, he said, you know, I feel like a freshman. And the professor said, why? Because of some of the stupid things you've just done? He said, no, because I'm starting all over. I've been given a second chance. 
Listen, a second chance is not to be taken lightly. A second chance is not to be taken lightly in the love of God. A second chance is never to be taken lightly. William Martin wrote a book about Billy Graham. And he said the thing that made Billy Graham ultra successful all those years was the fact that he consistently proclaimed the power of the second chance. The power of the second chance. How utterly important that is for us to realize. The power of the second chance. Not, during, not too long ago during a preaching mission, I heard a lay person give his testimony. And this lay person talked about the fact that he was an alcoholic and that he had had many close calls with death. Everything in his life was crumbling around him. But he said one day he met Jesus Christ and his life was changed. And as soon as he said that, he picked up his guitar and he began singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And then he told us that every year on the anniversary of his conversion to Christ, he would pick up his guitar in his local church and sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I asked him after the service was over, I said, how long have you been sober? He said, 16 years. 16 years. The gospel of the second chance is never, ever to be taken lightly. The gospel of the second chance. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I've used this before. On the front of this card, there's a lady in her underwear saying, I've been naughty all year. The fellow who sent this to me wrote this note on the inside, and I just want to share this with you. He said, this little girl on the cover will not get a gift from Santa. He knows if you've been good or bad, and he has no love for bad kids, period. On the other hand, God's love is absolute. He loves this little bimbo on the cover as much as he does St. Teresa. This is the kind of love that it's nice to know about at Christmas. This is the kind of love that it's nice to know about all the time. And this is the kind of love God has given us and extended to us. Oh, yes, the first thing we learn is we see an all-consuming love. And then secondly, we understand this. We learn that humility is nothing to be sneezed at. Humility is nothing to be sneezed at. The phone rang at a local church. The pastor picked it up, and the voice said, Hello, pastor. He said, I really need somebody. He said, I need somebody who has a vast understanding of the scriptures. I need somebody who is living obedient to the gospel. I need somebody who has a deep, deep faith. And the pastor was smiling. And then the fellow said, so can your wife come to the phone? There's something about humility. It's nothing to be sneezed at. Jesus asked his followers to do three things to remember him. He said, first of all, I want you to be baptized as I was baptized by John. He said, second, I want you to remember this last supper. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, thirdly, I want you to wash one another's feet. Now, the church has been obedient, especially for the first two commands, a long time. But this third command, to wash one another's feet, has basically been relegated to the small denominations in southern Appalachia. And it's perfectly all right with us for them to have this literal understanding and interpretation Wash one another's feet. Personally, I think it's fine. It's between you and God. But I think God's message here is more than simply washing one another's feet. I think the message is greater than that. It has to do with being an humble servant. Be an humble service. Offer service to other people. Offer service to other people. 
We're told that Jesus could have taken anything he wanted to to conquer the world. He had all the power in the world. He could have used force. We also know that he could have conquered the world by doing the sensational. Didn't Satan tell him to jump from the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, that God will provide angels and they will bear you up lest you strike your feet against the stone? Oh yes, he could have used the sensational. Or he could have used his power to feed people. He had fed 5,000 and 4,000. And we know people follow people who can feed them. But what did he take? He didn't take any of these things. He stooped down, picked up a basin and a towel, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He stooped down and took a towel. Now, what makes this so marvelous is, number one, Jesus was elevated beyond all humankind. But number two, he stooped down and washed their feet with a towel, and he washed them out of a, a basin, out of a basin. I remember in my own struggle called to preach, I was at the University of Georgia, and I would go home on the weekends to discuss my call with my pastor, who was then Reverend Bevel Jones, later to become Bishop Bevel Jones. I remember those discussions. I would go in and tell him all the reasons why I shouldn't be a minister, and he would take the opposite view. And then I would tell him all the reasons why I should be a minister, and again, he would take the opposite view. Well, one day I went into him and I told him, I don't think I ought to be a minister. He said, why? I said, because when I'm playing fraternity football, I want to kill that guy on the other side of the line. He said, well, God wouldn't want you if you had any less drive, but God would want you to change direction and do it in humble service. Humble service. And he was absolutely right about that. On Sunday morning, July 17th, 1966, it was probably the most uh, famous Sunday of all Sundays in that whole year. It was a service of worship that was held in the Geneva Chapel over in Geneva, Switzerland. The World Council of Churches was having this big occasion. It was their church and society conference. And everybody was excited because Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. was going to be the speaker, the great civil rights worker. But he said the service started and he said the hymns were sung, the prayers were prayed, the affirmations were given. But then there was no preacher. Dr. King did not show up. The pulpit was empty. The reason he didn't show up was because there had been a riot that broke out in Chicago the night before, and he was called to go to Chicago as the mediator. Now, if he had just been interested in publicity, he would have gone to Geneva, but because he was a servant of God, he went to Chicago and risked his life out on those streets. But somebody made this comment. They said, the greatest thing that day was not the preacher in the pulpit, but the absence of the preacher. Did you hear that? The greatest thing that day was not the preacher in the pulpit, it was the absence of the preacher. Why? Because the absence of the preacher meant that he was an humble servant. Humility is nothing to be sneezed at. And then there's one other thing. We learn that service is always supreme. Service is always supreme. Now, you know, practically, I think you would know that. I'm going to ask you a question. Why serve? Why do we serve? Well, I would assume you know that. But when I read the story the other day, I don't think I can assume anything. So I want to tell you, there was this traveling vacuum cleaner salesman that went to these houses. He was a famous salesman. When he went to the house, his technique was when the door was open, he would throw manure all over the carpet before the person could object. And then he would say, this cleaner can clean up all that manure. And he would go in and clean up the manure. This went on and on, and he always was successful. 
Well, one day he went up to this lady's door. He knocked on it, and immediately the older lady opened the door, and he threw the manure on a carpet. And then he said, listen, ma'am, this vacuum cleaner will get every bit of this manure off your carpet, or if not, I will get down on my hands and knees and pick it up myself. And the lady looked at him, smiled, and said, well, come on in. We don't have any electricity. As I said, you never make a false assumption. So I'm going to ask this question to you. Why serve? Why serve? That's the question. Now I want to list to you several reasons why we serve. First of all, because it's the real sign of greatness. It's the real sign of greatness. There was a Chamber of Commerce meeting in Chicago, and they wanted to develop a slogan for their town. There was a columnist there, and he rightly said, we'll just call it, where's mine? Jesus absolutely was opposed to that. He was opposed to that both in word and in deed. So, we know from Scripture, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The one who would be a servant. That's the one that's the greatest among you. And then why serve? Because it's the personal express lane to happiness. It's the personal express lane to happiness. In other words, the saddest people in the world are the people who are focused on themselves. The happiest people are people who are focused on others. And First John says, we know we've passed from death to life by our concern and love for other people. The late Frank Harrington said to his congregation one Sunday, how many of you people feel like you're a success in your endeavor, but you just feel like there's something missing in your life? How many of you feel you're a success in your endeavor, but you feel something's missing in your life? People raised their hands. And he said, now let me tell you, service is the key to happiness. Service really is the key to happiness. And then thirdly, why serve? Because it's the glue that holds the community together. A man died and happened to have the opportunity of going to heaven and hell. He went to hell first. When he got down there, he saw all these people full of anger and misery and confusion. And they, he noticed something. They all had elbows that could not bend. They had elbows that couldn't bend. Each one of them had food in their hands. But they couldn't eat because their elbows would not bend. So consequently, they were angry and miserable and just having a bad time. This man was delighted when time came to go to heaven. But when he got up to heaven, he noticed the people were all happy there. But he also noticed that they had elbows that wouldn't bend. And they were walking around with food in their hands. But they were delighted. Why? Because they had learned to feed each other. Because they had learned to feed each other. Service is the key to happiness. And then finally, why serve? Because of Jesus' example. Because of Jesus' example. Jesus says, you call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. While the disciples were gathered around talking, Jesus arose from the table. He reached over, got a towel and a basin, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, his disciples. In response to God's love, we serve. Let us pray. Lord, thank you again for this day, and thank you for Jesus' willingness to wash the feet of his disciples, and for his call to us to be willing to wash the feet of our friends and others all around us. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful servants. That's what you call us to be. So help us, O oh God, to be faithful servants. Where we fall, forgive us. Where we need strengthening, empower us. 
we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me for this service, and I pray that you're having some blessed days, and I pray your health is good, and better still, your life is good. God bless. Good night. Flowing by the throne of God On the margin of the river Washing up its silver spray We will walk and worship ever All the happy golden day Yes, we'll gather at the river The beautiful, the beautiful Happy hearts will quiver with the melody of the throne.